Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. This week, we are led in scripture by Pastor Ben Hartwick. In Paul's letter to the Colossians, we hear instructions on how we should turn to Christ and put to death our earthly desires, or suffer an eternal death. You can join us by turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, as Pastor Ben Hartwig delivers his sermon titled, Kill or Be Killed. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. Yes, that is a lot when we're looking at Colossians and that particular uh, book. But we're going to kind of take this in an overview. Paul is doing here what he's saying, uh, what he's telling us as it pertains to uh, putting on of the new self as he writes to uh, the church of the Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would just give us help as we look towards your word here, Father. Father, this is a serious matter as it pertains to sin, as he has told the Colossians here, Father, in putting on the new self, Father, these saved individuals here, the church, we are not disconnected from this. Help us to see this clearly as it pertains to our sanctification and where we go from here. Father, we are still in this body of flesh. We are still in an environment that is prone to sin and prone to make us wander. But, Father, 
May we recognize that we are identified with Jesus Christ. We have died with Him, we have raised with Him, and now we are to live in Him, through Him, with Him. Father, we need help, and we need help to see this rally. Help me, Father, as, um, as I teach, Father, that um, there would be a clarity, and Father, that this would be useful. And we do thank you, we praise you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We know that, of course, in anything that we do, um, we bring baggage with us. No matter what we're doing, we bring baggage with us. Whether it be marriage, we come into marriage, we, we bring baggage with us. If we're a race car driver, we get in a crash, we got to get back in the car. We bring baggage back with us into that that we've got to get over. Any kind of sport or anything, we, we bring this baggage with us. Josh mentioned a few weeks ago, he's talking about uh, flag football, which I'm pretty close to. I've coached flag football for a couple of years, and he was talking about all these kids, they all want to be quarterback, right? Every one of them. They can't be. They don't have the baggage they bring is the baggage they don't bring, which often is the ability. And what we recognize is... We, we see that in anything we, we, we come to, we bring baggage with us. And so we look at the church, we look at the Christian life, those things that are actually heavy, weighty, important, eternal. We bring baggage with us. And so to get past that baggage, we have to see the thing that is the greater thing, the better thing, the most beautiful thing. What are we looking to obtain? Where are we headed? Where are we going? And so we have to look towards that if we're going to get past the baggage in marriage for instance the husband wife for them it's it's the greater love it's the greater respect it's ultimately the god glorifying marriage that's what we're looking towards for that something less significant for that race car driver in that horrible accident he's got to get over that i had a friend that did that on a dirt track he got in a really bad crash and he had to get over that before he got back in the car it was tough and the Colossians, in the matter that is more weighty, more serious here than, than anything, really, for the Colossians in this church, they had baggage. There were things there that they had to deal with. Now, this church likely got its start during Paul's ministry at Ephesus. In that time period, there was a Colossian that had uh, traveled to Ephesus and responded to the preaching of Paul. This new believer goes home. He goes home. He starts uh, the, Colossia, uh, the, 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 the Colossian church. And, and, and we see that uh, in verse 7 there. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So he goes back, this, this, this Epaphras goes back and he starts this church. And we would be inclined to believe that when Colossians was written, Epaphras was uh, with Paul in Rome and had probably shared this news with Paul, bad news with him, that uh, there was dangerous teaching that was threatening the church there. And the letter is going to them to respond to this situation and to encourage those believers and to encourage them in their growth and their sanctification and their maturity. Now, if you read, uh, if you read a bunch of different scholars and commentators concerning what exactly was the destructive teaching that was facing the church, you'll find that there's a little bit of wondering about that. 
because they're not exactly sure there. Some said the problem with the Colossians was Gnosticism, this idea that the world was created by an inferior God, and therefore, uh, because it's in, it created by this inferior God, the material world is all evil, which is actually quite convenient, really, because that gives me an excuse for all my sin and all my problems and my wickedness. But uh, because of some things that were found later then, most don't think that that was the problem. Now, while there were some distinctly uh, Jewish elements to this false teaching, some have reasoned that there was a, uh, a Jewish mysticism uh, that had twisted uh, the church and had twisted the, uh, the, the Christians there. Uh, but... And then others say, well, it wasn't uh, internal teaching, it was an external teaching. But apparently there was an issue that is stated in the letter that was the worship of angels. In verse 18 of chapter 2, Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and, war asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason uh, by sensuous minds. So we have uh, a, a, an angel worship that was going on. Now, while most agree on what most, the most likely thing that was happening um, was this, the dangerous teaching was one that had risen from Jewish and pagan folk belief. It was far enough away from Israel that things had gotten twisted. Now, all of this kind of stuff really shouldn't sound that odd to us or that disconnected from us. This doesn't sound much different than our own culture because what was happening and what was occurring was that there was a tendency to call upon angels for help call on angels for help and protection from these evil spirits. And, 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 and so what it seems had happened, and what many scholars believe, is that sort of a huckster, if you will, rose up in the church and started to attract a following to him. He was putting himself out there, I'm your spiritual guide, and so he claimed to have superior insight into what the Scripture was saying and into the spiritual realm and was advising the Colossian Christians to practice some certain rites and practice some certain rituals and to pray to things that are not to be prayed to. That doesn't sound very odd, does it? So, what we have here is that Paul hears of a teaching a teaching that is devaluing Christ and is not seeing, it's, it's, it's believers not seeing this rightly as is taken in Christ. So he pins this letter, which is a warning, but it's also not only a warning, but it's encouraging. And so it isn't just that he's out there bashing the heresy and the falsehood, but instead he shows the supremacy of Christ over all powers, which, um, by the way, we should say that if we, if we, understand Christ rightly, and we understand the Word rightly, we don't need to be versed on every single heresy out there. We just need to know the Word. So he encourages them. He encourages them with the unity of Christians in the church, along with this exalted, with the exalted Christ. And so thus they, and, and, and we, by the way, are sharing in this power, this authority. So that's the larger background as to what was going on and what Paul is doing is what we're, and what we're looking at in chapter 3 is the encouragement to take us and encourage us on to maturity in Christ by continuing our battle in sin. Kill it or it will kill you. Pursuing holiness in Christ and learning to live 
as Christians who are a distinct and often, yes, a peculiar people. So this issue of bringing, uh, going back into bringing baggage into your situation, you know, they all had their cultural beliefs, they all had their religious beliefs and before they were saved, and now that they are saved, you know, they have this charismatic leader that had apparently risen up and twisted their thinking and it suited their sin. And so the focus for you and I is Christ, the life that we are living for, but there is instruction in that we must deal with the sins of the past. That these sins of the past have to, they, these have to be dealt with. We can't say, oh, I'm a believer now and I'm saved, but yet I have, the, the sin has not been dealt with. The sin has continued, hence our baggage, the kill or be killed situation. So, you know, a, for instance here, you know, things below, things on earth, the desire for riches, just a for example. It's a misunderstanding of Christ. The desire for riches is very deadly. Again, for example, Gezi, Elisha's servant, was struck with uh, leprosy because he couldn't pass up on a reward. Ananias dropped dead because the desire for money per, per, uh, uh, prompted him to, to lie. The rich young ruler could not enter the kingdom of God from Mark 10. The rich man who feasted and neglected Lazarus was tormented in Hades from Luke 16. Paul said the desire to be rich plagues men into ruin and destruction. Now, that's a for example. But God tells us these tragedies not to make us hate money, but to just love Him. The severity of punishment that we see in the Word is a sign that God is what is supreme. And, you know, we can go through that list of people. In, in our for example here, you know, Ananias, there's this debate. Was Ananias saved? You know, there's, there's this, you know, we're not going to get into that discussion. But if he was, again... Kill or be killed. <laughs> the sins of the past. And so we just see there we scorn the infinite worth of God when we covet. And our for example, we can look towards the fifth and sixth verse of our passage in Colossians 3. Why Paul calls covetousness idolatry and says that the wrath of God is coming against it. It's kill or be killed. We need to see some things. So first of all, we've got to see the foundation. And Paul brings that here in the, in the very first verse uh, about being raised with Christ. You have been raised. And there is a foundation here, a ground for all this, if you will, and that is that you have been raised with Christ. With that, overcoming sin is more than possible. So as the passage speaks to our life in Christ and the putting to death, the kill or be killed idea, which we'll get to that in a moment, but of this of this putting to death of which is earthly, we must relate that directly to dying with Christ and now being raised to live in this newness of life. And so we refer to this as the atonement. This is the ground for this, the atonement. And the instruction is that with all the wrong that was going on in the Colossian church, this is what we remember. That's what he's telling. This is what you're to remember. This is what you know if you've been raised with Christ. Four things here real quickly uh, as, as a ground that we have to have as sinners, that we have to understand, that we have to see. First of all, we deserve to die as a penalty for sin. We have to see that. We deserve to die as a penalty for sin. We deserve also to bear God's wrath against sin. 
Thirdly, we're separated from God by those sins. And fourthly, we're in bondage to sin and to the kingdom of Satan. What did Christ's death do? If you've been raised with Christ, Christ died, Christ has been raised, what did the death of Christ do? Because the Colossians were saved. They were to be past this, right? They were to be seeing this. What did the death of Christ do? Well, first of all, as us deserving to die and bearing the penalty for sin, we see the sacrifice, the sacrifice to pay the penalty of death that we deserve because of our sins. Christ died as a sacrifice for us. He has appeared once for all at the end of age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's Hebrews 9 and verse 26. The propitiation. You know, we deserve to bear the wrath of God against sin, the propitiation, to remove us from the wrath of God, that which we deserve. Christ died as the propitiation for our sins. That which happened at the cross displayed that God is perfectly righteous. It's here that sin is punished, and God shows himself to be a righteous judge overall. 1 John 4.10, In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then separated from God by our sin. We need reconciliation to overcome our separation from God. We needed someone to provide reconciliation and thereby bring us back into fellowship with God. Paul says that God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And then being in bondage to sin in the kingdom of Satan. We need redemption. Now, let me stop here for just a second because all this can sound pretty bad to you if you've never heard this, that we need the sacrifice, we need this propitiation, we need, we need a substitute. We need somebody to bear the wrath for us. But see, this is the good news because there is the sacrifice, there is the propitiation, there is the reconciliation, there is redemption because as sinners... We're in bondage to sin. We're in bondage to Satan. We need someone to provide redemption and thereby redeem us out of that bondage. And we speak of redemption, the idea of ransom comes into our minds. That ransom, the price paid to redeem someone from captivity, to redeem somebody from slavery, uh, uh, bondage. Jesus said about himself, The Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10. Now we may, we may ask at this point, you know, to whom was the ransom paid? Because that's then our minds start to do weird things, and uh, and and we see where the human analogy of the ransom breaks down a little bit and doesn't uh, fit the atonement in every detail. Uh, there was not a ransom paid to Christ, or to excuse me, there wasn't a ransom paid to Satan. Um, we have to understand that that is the case. Uh, Satan uh, had no power to demand such payment uh, as we were bought back from Satan. Don't ever look at it that way. That is not the case um, as, 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 as if uh, Satan's holiness was offended. That is not the case. Um, but as we saw earlier, the, the, the penalty for sin was paid by Christ. Christ paid the penalty. Christ received accepted by the Father because it was not he who was held in bondage but Satan and our own sins. So therefore, 
at that point, the idea of ransom, it isn't, we, we don't press it in every single detail, but we see the price was paid, the death of Christ. And the result of the death of Christ is that we are redeemed from bondage. And that is the foundation of what he's talking about when he says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above. Because you can. Because now you actually can do this. And we need to understand that this atonement, Christ's works on the cross, His work on the cross, when it is applied to our lives, it takes us past this baggage of sin that we have brought. And now we can live as we ought. Gives us the foundation of being raised to be able to put to death, to put on the new, as he says in the passage. So that foundation in kind of verses 1 through 4 there, but then he gets into this idea of putting to death then. This is the kill or be killed, put to death in verse uh, 5. It is put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Then he gives a list of sexual morality and purity and passion, evil desire, covetousness, with his idolatry. Now, I don't believe and I, I don't think as we see this put to death, we cannot get past the idea of crucifixion and crucify when we're speaking of death in this passage. We have to look at it this way because this, this is immersed in identification with Christ. So if we're going to talk about identification with Christ, we have to talk about crucifixion and how crucifixion applies to us. We can't miss that. We can't overlook that. Did Christ die for no reason? Well, Christ died, and if you are saved, you have claimed an identification with Christ. And if you've claimed an identification with Christ, then you have claimed identification with Him in His death and in His resurrection. So now, the idea is that we have the ability, and this is part of the significance, then, of life in Christ. Now, this is not a checklist, by the way. This, this list that's given here is not some kind of checklist to look at and say, well, I haven't done those things today, so I'm okay. I haven't done this, so I'm all right. No, instead it's to say, I have died with Christ. I have been raised with Christ. And so to be crucified with. Now this is where I hope you remember everything that I read in chapter 6 of Romans as we... Um, got started there earlier to be crucified with is a very it's, it's unique to, to really not that many verses in the scripture but when it's used we look at that and we see what Paul I, I want to use that as, as, as Paul wants us to see it as it pertains to life in Christ living with Christ being unified with Christ as being crucified with him and so to see it properly of this being put to death and our ability as those who are with Him, we need to see our being unified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with, crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So we see that this crucified with, which is a passive word that is showing something has happened to me, crucified with, because of that, I am unified with Christ in a supernatural way and Christ is living in me and living through me. 
And so because of the gift of faith, I live by faith. And again, it is important that we don't take the, the list in the passage and, and live by it or, or, or any other list that we find in the Scripture and think, I'm just going to take that list and I'm going to live by that, that list. Because, by the way, we can do all of the things on that list and still be lost. We have to recognize that. We can take a list and we can do everything on that list and we can and, 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 and this in particular list and we can even add our own little things to it and we can still be lost and dying and headed for hell. We have to understand that because often whenever we start making lists, we tailor them specific to me, you know, and we leave out the things that we don't like. So we should mention that this putting to death, it doesn't mean to live in legalism, right? Which is always the temptation. It's always the temptation to do that. because, And the problem is, of course, legalism's most destructive effect is that it cancels the effect of the cross. If you cancel the effect of the cross, what have you done? You've eliminated salvation. So if you place yourself back under the law, what you have done is you have canceled union with Christ. There is no union with Christ there showing that you are not unified with Him and you are indeed under sin. Now, this is not where we find ourselves. Why? Because he says, the old man is dead, crucified with Christ, and now the new man lives, he says. The life that you received by faith, you live by faith. And if you trust Christ for salvation, you spiritually participate with the Lord in His crucifixion. That's for real, that you spiritually participate with him in the crucifixion and in his victory over sin and death. We cannot accomplish this through the law. This cannot be accomplished through the law. It isn't my wonderful divine life or my privilege of a family line that I can be indwelt by the living God. Nothing that I have done, nothing that I have merited, but only because he loved me and he gave himself for me, and now I am united to him in that way. So our motive then for putting to death what is earthly in us, for all spiritual devotion and obedience, is gratitude. Gratitude to the sovereign, gracious, glorious Lord. And so, see, the foundation then of the gospel is the grace of God. The grace of God, the death of Christ, those are the foundations that by its very nature that legalism destroys. Anybody that insists that I can or that we can earn our salvation by our own efforts, it undermines the very foundation of Christianity. It nullifies that precious death of Christ on our behalf. So we look at the passage, we we think about the putting to death, the life in Christ. And it's just like I read in Romans 6 earlier in our opening scripture there. In Romans 6, 6, he said, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That passage comes on the heels of that extraordinary evil suggestion in the beginning of chapter 6 that, hey, if sin, if it increases, then grace increases, and therefore we should just go on sinning. We should just continue sinning and just all the more because grace will increase all the more, which ultimately is just an excuse to sin. 
That's the context in which Paul is speaking there. And Paul rejects that idea for the very simple reason that we died to sin. There it is again. That we died to sin and therefore we can't live in it any longer. We can live in it no longer. When did that take place? It took place at conversion. It took place symbolically at baptism. Lowered into the water, died with Christ, raised out of the water, alive with Christ. Paul gave us that in Romans 6, 3, 4, 3 through 4. Uh, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. So, baptism is that dramatic picture of our participation in the death and resurrection of Christ and our identification with Him in this. That is why we may be said to have died to sin so that we should live in it no longer. And the missing piece in this puzzle is that Christ's death in which we have shared by faith inwardly and by our baptism outwardly was a death to sin. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. Now, there's really only, as we think about being dead to sin in in Christ, there's really only one sense in which it can be said that Jesus, who knew no sin, by the way, not one, there's really only one sense that can be said that He died to sin, and that is that He bore its penalty. That's the only way that He died to sin, is that He bore the penalty of sin, since the wages of sin is death. And so having paid the wage of sin by dying, He has risen to a new life. So we have also by union with Him, right? We have as well by union with Him. So we too, those in the Colossian church and us as well, we have died to sin, not in the sense that we have personally paid His penalty, because we can't do that. Christ has done that in our place instead of us on our behalf. But in this sense, we have shared in the benefit of His death. Since the penalty of sin has been borne and the debt paid, we're free from the burden of guilt. We're free from the burden of of condemnation, and we've risen with Christ to a new life. With the sin question then finished behind us, how then, as we look at this passage, how then can we possibly go on living in the sin to which we have died? Things are different now. Things are different than they were It's not impossible, for it is necessary for us to take precautions and to see that this is serious as far as it concerns letting sin reign within us. But it is inconceivable that the things on that list, that the things that are there, it is inconceivable that those things would characterize us. That we would be characterized by those things because it is incompatible with the fact of our death and resurrection with Jesus completely incompatible with the fact that we are identified with Him in death and resurrection. You see what happened? Death has cut you off from the old life. That's why it's very serious word, death. It's cut us off from the old life. That is finality, right? Death. How can I ever think of going back to that? It's like that in Romans 6.11. This is why 
We have to count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is, does not mean that we are to pretend, which we can do that. We could be pretty good at that, actually. That we're to pretend that we've died to sin, that we're to pretend that we've risen to new life in Christ. We must therefore continuously, constantly remember this as a fact and that we are living a life that is consistent with it. So it should be easy to conclude that if our life is still marked by these things and characterized, our life is characterized by these things, very simply, we're not united to Christ. If my, if my life is marked and characterized by these things, I'm not united to Christ and the wrath of God remains upon me. And Christ is not in my place, if that's the case. But if that death to sin and life to Christ has occurred, and I have identified with that, if union with Him has occurred, then, it's at that point, then we can cultivate Christian virtue. Now, it's, it's because of all that that we can see Christ as we ought, that we can see Him as all-glorious, we can see Him as all-beautiful, we can get it that Christ is Lord over all creation, that He is Lord over everything that we can see and that we can't see, that He has secured redemption for those who are following Him, His disciples, and because of this, we participate with Him in His death, in His resurrection, and His fullness for eternity. It's now that we can work at the transformation of our minds in a very real way, that we can deal with the environment of sin that we find ourselves in on a daily basis, that we can deal with this body of flesh and all the baggage that comes with that. We can deal with this in a very real way as, the, as we can deal with the transformation of our characters in a very real way. And as we become more and more like Christ, we choose and act more and more like Christ. We act out of our nature. And the difference that is being told to the Colossians is that because of your unity with Christ, our natures have been regenerated. And in renewal, we will do what we want to most do. That's really the case here, right? We will do what we most want to do. And we are not yet what we ought to be, and we will want to sin. That will be there. But... As we submit to the disciplines of the Spirit, Bible meditation and prayer and worship and preaching and teaching, all of these things, our characters undergo a continual transformation. And it's at that point that our want-tos change. What I want to do and what I don't want to do begin to change. We long more and more then at that point to please the Lord. We want to please the Lord. And we aren't alone in this. And yes, we have a faith family, we have a, a covenant community, but we have union with Christ. We don't want to leave that behind. We have union with Christ and we have the Spirit. Paul roots all this in the fact that those who have been baptized into Christ are united with them in such a way that they share, again, in His death, in His burial, in His resurrection, in His ascension, and in His ultimate glorification. That we share in all of that. This new identity in union with Christ is the groundwork that the Spirit um, lays for us adequately dealing then with this continuing presence of sin. On the basis of this, uh, believers are to put off the characteristics of the old man and put on 
the characteristics of the new. Verse 12, put on then. You know, he, he gets into all that matter of those first 11 verses. And he says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. It's a little bit different than the previous there of what you're to be putting to death. They have already put on the new man who's been re- renewed in the knowledge and the image of the Creator. The fact of union with Christ in His death to send a new life to God, to Christ, is the foundation then for the growth and the holiness. How am I going to grow? How am I going to be holy? That's it. The knowledge of this provides the motivation. So if the glory of God is the ultimate goal of all things, and it is the ultimate goal of all things, including our sanctification, then conformity to Christ is the immediate goal of that sanctification. We're called to be like Him. Putting this on. Our responsibility is to be like Him. Now, again, we don't want to misunderstand here. The idea that just the imitation of Christ, if we say that the imitation of Christ, that that's the foundation and and essence of the Christian life, that's unbiblical. To say just imitating Him. Because we can say that He's a good teacher and, 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 and there's morality there that we need to follow well that's not the gospel and that's unbiblical because we can do that and be very very lost and if we did do that we would be very very lost because we're not looking to him as savior if we do that we're not looking to him as our redeemer if we just imitate him in what he did no but it would be quite deficient to develop some kind of doctrine of sanctification that gave no attention to the imitation of Christ and being like Christ because the goal of the Spirit's ministry in our sanctification, which is after you're saved, after I've already depended upon Christ for salvation, the goal of the Spirit's ministry in sanctification is a reproduction of likeness to Christ, of being like Jesus, and in this sense to produce this imitation of Christ in following Christ. That is following Christ. Jesus, taking up the cross, denying self, all which is genuinely biblical, of course. This is where we get the restoration of the image of God that was marred by sin. It should not surprise us if the evidences of the Spirit's work in regeneration on the one hand and the actions of faith and repentance on the other are one and same in, the, in this mirror in the union of Christ by which that is the bond. So by the work of the Spirit, we are joined to Christ. We share in the death of the old man and the resurrection of the new. We have died to sin and have been raised into new life in Christ. Yet at the same time, we ourselves crucify the flesh with its lusts and put off the old man, put on the new, as he states. We work out our salvation and as the Spirit of God, works in us to will and to act according to his good pleasure, as we're told in Philippians chapter 2. So those who have the Spirit live according to the Spirit and set their minds on the things of the Spirit. They set their affections on the things above. Set your affections. Have the distaste for the old order and a desire for the new. Now, you read that, you hear all this, um, 
you may think that find it all somewhat foreign, really. Um, but you want transformation. You want change. You want this. You, 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 you. What do I do? Submit to Christ. You submit to Christ. When you do, you die to sin. You die to sin. And now you have, it's at that point that you have power for new life. It's at that point that you are raised and unified with Him in His death and in His life. And then it's at that point you begin to find Christ as everything that is all glorious and beautiful. And you find out what actual joy is about. Then, as we see these things, our our desires change. It helps us then to look forward to that day that is coming when actually... It's completely unmolested in our desire, in our longing. We'll only, only desire that which is pleasing to the Lord. And so we are praising God for the grace that takes us from the bondage of sin into the freedom of the glory of the likeness of the risen Christ in our lives. Pray with me. Our most gracious and heavenly Father, God, Lord, may we see the seriousness of sin, leaving sin behind us, Father. If we have a claim to the death of Christ and the life of Christ, we are making a claim of being unified with Christ, and there are things that are to characterize us. Love, patience, kindness, humility, Father, the the fruits of the Spirit, these matters, these things that are characterizing us and leaving behind that of the old life. But Father, we still live in this body of the flesh. We still have this baggage to deal with. We still, Father, live in an environment that is just flooded with sin. But Father, we thank you that through identification with Christ, Father, we can put put off, put to death that which is earthly in us. That, Father, you have done this on our behalf. You have bore the wrath. And, Father, we thank you that we can be identified with Christ and live in Christ and look forward to that which is coming. Father, we do thank you. We praise you for this. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Ben Hartwig's sermon titled, Kill or Be Killed. Tune in again next week as we return to the Book of Exodus. True Vine Baptist Church also invites you to like our Facebook page or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.